0: In the hey. oh. a, <laughs> that's cruel, right? <laughs> that's cruel. But you're awake. Even when it's hot. Um, so we're in this village, and we're going kind of village to village, and we're and we're meeting with people, and, and kind of spending home visitation, things like that. So we're we're in the middle of, the, of the, this village, in this hut, and in this hut, every single people, uh, our translator dropped us off, and and uh, so it's just me and like four women, right? And so we're in this hut, and uh, our translator kind of took off, and everyone in this hut was completely and utterly drunk like so drunk, so spun out, and they started screaming at us. They were yelling at us and getting mad, and I was like, what's going on? So I'm looking around, and the one lady was walking up to this other lady, and I think she was flirting with her, and the, our lady that was on the mission trip was like, oh, she's so sweet. I'm like, I think she's flirting with you. Anyway, so, so she's doing that, and then I'm like, what's happening? They're screaming at us. They're pointing their fingers at us like it's not good. Like, it's not good. And I have been all over the world. I've traveled extensively. And I've never been in a situation quite like this. And I was, like, a bit freaked out. I was like, our local guy is gone. I'm in this, vill- I'm in this, in, in this uh, hut with these... With these ladies, and and something bad feels like it's going to go down. This one lady, who is kind of the ringleader, is in the back of the room, and she's pointing and she's screaming at all of them and screaming at us. And I have uh, uh, one of my best friends. uh, They're some of our best friends. They're Arabic. And her name's Marianne. Marianne was with me, and Marianne's sitting next to me, right? All the other team's like, what's going on? Something's not right. Something's out of control. And so I look over at Marianne, and Marianne is locked onto this woman in the back who's so angry, and she's staring her right in the eyes. And I'm like, what is wrong with her? Like, stop, like, calm down. Like, you want to, like, relax, church? Avoid, like, look away. Like, we got to get out of here. And she had her eyes locked on this woman who's causing all the havoc, getting everybody wound up, screaming at us. And finally, finally, our uh, translator walks in, realizes what's going on. He's like, oh, my gosh. So he starts talking to the people. As he's doing that, these people are coming closer to us. And what he did is he stood in between us. And and these people and he like ushered us out the door So we get out the door and get in the van and we're driving back to where we were staying Kind of all freaked out a little bit like wow that was super intense And I look I go to Marianne and I go what were you doing? Why why were you staring down that woman? I mean this is like insane like I was trying to figure out How do I get everybody out of here? You seem like you could care less you were locked onto this woman and she said this, I have, been, I have not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. And I'm not afraid of what this woman was going to do to me. She, wanted to, she needed to see the power of Jesus in me, in this situation, because there was so much darkness in that room. And I was not afraid. Well, I'll tell you what, I was afraid. But she wasn't. But that rocked me. That statement rocked me. The fact that she felt so confident to be in that situation... That felt, everyone felt like out of control and what is happening. And yet she relied and leaned in to the truth that she knew about who she was in Christ. And here's what I find in the midst of exile this exile that we are living in currently, the cultural situation in which we find ourselves. I don't know if you know this, but being a Christian isn't like up and to the right. Like, it's not like we're socially even acceptable all that much. And every time we're talked about, it's about something we've done wrong or something that we're against. And here's what's happening with a lot of Christians is they're afraid. They're afraid. They talk fearful talk. Or they're just accommodating the culture to not give in to the pressure. Do you know in the scriptures, fear not, is said 365 times. 365 times, it's almost like the Lord was like, I want you to wake up every morning and I want you to remind yourself who you are and whose you are. I don't want you to forget that because it doesn't matter the circumstances that we find ourselves good or bad, it's who we are in Christ. And if we understand who we are and who He is, it allows us to not fear. That's why, for every single day, you should wake up and say, I am not afraid. Say, I am not afraid. Say, I am not afraid. I hope you believe that. I hope you believe that when you have to make really difficult decisions that run against the tide of what all your friends say, when you're going to get canceled because you did, because you're going to stand up for what's right and what's true. I hope you believe that. I hope you can live into that because this is the literal circumstance that Daniel finds himself in. They've been taken away to a land they do not know, put into all kinds of pressures that they have never been a part of, and what will they do? In Daniel 1, 1 through 2, it says this, in the third year of the reign of Jeroboam, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it, took it over. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So the context is this. Israel's doing their thing. Israel, if you remember, is God's chosen people. Here's what he said. The promise he made is that I will be your God, a monotheistic God, one God. And you will be my people. You will be a light unto the nations. So the idea was that as they worship God as Yahweh. And they live to him a devoted life. That they will reflect his glory to the rest of the people. That is what Israel was called to do. But what's happening in this circumstance is they've rebelled. They've run away from God who God has called them to be. And if you read Romans 1, Romans 1 says this. That he will release you, this is a terrifying passage, to the desires of your heart. You want that? You got it. You want to follow that? You got that. And this is Israel's story. And he's using Nebuchadnezzar the ba- over the Babylonian, he's over all of Babylon. And Babylon is now a superpower. And they're taking over city after city after city. Nebuchadnezzar is destroying them and mocking them and then indoctrinating them into be basically going, you are now Babylonian. If you want to make it here, like if you want to survive, if you don't want your life threatened, then you need to accommodate. You need to be like us, act like us, think like us, eat like us, worship like us, which is opposite of what Israel's been doing. Because remember, they're, only, they're God's people. They're Yahweh's people. That is how they will live. And that exile, live, uh, that exile was for 70 years they lived this way. Because Israel's pattern, you'll see it over and over. If you remember, like Israel, they're in Egypt. God says to Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go, let my people go. They cross over the Red Sea. To go into the promised land, the place that God has prepared for them. And then you have these scenes all throughout this journey, which by the way wasn't supposed to take 40 years. And what you see is Israel then turning back to Egypt, right? If you remember, Moses is going up to get the word of God and get the Ten Commandments. He's come down, and what happens? They've created idols. He was only gone a little bit and he throws down he's like i cannot believe it it's in his brother is the one leading this whole thing israel's narrative is god has told them who they are here's the thing god has told you who you are he's told you who you are you are sons and daughters of the most high god you are knit together in your mother's womb for a purpose and a plan But like Israel, so often we go against what God says we are to give in, to accommodate the culture that tells us and wants to define it. This is where Israel's at. And so what happens is rebellion against God's plan and then warning. This is the prophets. The prophets are coming in going, hey, y'all, don't go that way. That is not the way of God. Return, return, return. The prophets are like waving their hands. I started reading and studying the prophets on a really deep level in 2020 because I started going, something's, something's going on. It felt like lies were being exposed. It felt like leaders were being exposed. Christians called out for their sin We were watching a a country divide, a world divide. And I'm like reading the prophets going, oh my gosh, this is not brand new. Y'all, this is not brand new. This is old. This is 2,600 years ago, this particular story. 2,600 years ago, it's the same here. God has told us who we are. We've rebelled against him. Now you're hearing these messages of turn to the Lord, turn to the Lord. This is the exact message that Israel is getting from the prophets. And then they continue to rebel. And what happens? Judgment. Judgment. I don't like judgment. I don't like that. I don't like judgment. But all along the way, God's been trying to get us to get our chins up. God's been trying to awaken us to his truth because he loves you. He loves me. He loves Israel. Like in Jeremiah 25, 3, and then 8 through 11, it says this. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon. This is, by the way, a prophecy of what's going to happen. King of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me. And I have spoken persistently to you. But you have not listened. Are you listening to the Lord? Pray to God you are. But you are not listening. Therefore... The therefore is because they're not listening, because they continue to rebel. Says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, because you have chosen to rebel, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against the land and its inhabitants, against all the surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction. Who's speaking this? God is. Devote them to destruction and make them a whore, a hissing, an everlasting desolation. I don't like that. I don't like that God. I don't like that version of God, you might say. I don't like that he does that or that he says that. There's this beautiful passage in Hosea. It says this, Hosea 6.1. And and if I could just say, like, if I could encourage you to read a chapter this week, read Hosea six. Hosea 6, 1 says this, come, you ready? Come, come, let's return to the Lord for he has wounded us so he can heal us. He has broken us so he can bandage our wounds. It's God who does the breaking and God who does the healing. And in this moment in Israel's history, there's a breaking, a fracturing in the midst of exile as a result of them rebelling against who God has called them to be. Well, I don't like that. I have a buddy who's an orthopedic surgeon and an uh, awesome guy, one of my best buddies, and uh, orthopedic surgeon. And I asked him one time, I said, do you ever have to like, like do you ever have to like break people's arms and stuff like orthopedic surgeons are like mad scientists of like the doctors. They have saws and, and they have hammers and all kinds of crazy stuff. So anyway, he's like, oh, yeah, we have to break people's arms all the time. He's like, Do you know, people are so stupid. He's like, they'll break their arm and they'll come in and they'll have a two-by-four wrapped in duct tape. saying, I, I fixed it myself. He goes, and I'll go in and they'll say, my nerves aren't working well and I got pain down my back. Well, because the bone's set, it just set wrong and it's jacking up their whole system. He said, so I go in and I snap their arm all over again. And I said, do you ever feel bad for doing that? I mean, you're inflicting an unbelievable amount of pain on that person. And he said, never. Because they'll never heal. I have to break the arm. I have to set it back. or They'll have damage for the rest of their life. They won't be able to live into who they really are. So you can see a loving God cares so much that he won't allow, he won't enable this bad behavior in you and me. He won't allow us. He is present in exile. He's present when we feel like he's not around. He's a part, he is the one who fractures us because he loves us. He's also the one, by the way, who heals. He heals you. And I don't know about you, but I want a God who's in charge of both. He's in charge of both. I want him to be in charge of both, not just one. I want him to be a part of the whole thing. I know who I am. I am a sinner saved by grace. And I want God to be in control of my discipline, and I want him to be in control of my rescue. And he is. And as Israel rebels, and as you and I rebel, I want you to know he loves you so much, his justice will come for you. He is a jealous God, and you want him to be jealous. You want him to come after when you run away. You want there to be a fracturing when you choose day over day to one in one moment proclaim his his God and then now run away. You want him to come after you. He want him to lean in to not just the healing, but also the hurt. He loves you that much. You know what I've learned as a parent of three kids? The disciplining my kids is heartbreaking. I don't do it out of some sadistic need. I do it because I love my kids. And I'm okay if they don't understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I love them. I would give my life for them, but I will also punish them because I won't be a father who enables bad behavior. How much more? How much more does God love you? How much more will He come in the midst of exile, your own exile? How much more? Look at Israel rebelling against God in the midst of exile. What feels like torture. What do you do? Um, my son, he's 19 now. When he was four years old, he got diagnosed with leukemia. And he had to, I mean, the first year was brutal. Second year, honestly, was harder. They told us it was going to be better, it was harder. He had to get stuck so many times. And his veins would flatten out because he, and they would just poke him relentlessly. It was like torture. And so, before we got to the hospital, I'd have to walk him around the hospital. And he would just be like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. It's too hard. It's too hard. And I would go, Buddy, you got this. Come on. Remember, you got this. God is for you. He's not against you. Breathe, breathe, breathe. And what I was trying to do is get him to refocus, not on the pain, but on the pain that was going to bring the healing. He had to receive these medicines. But he had to go through something really difficult. But me, I'm the one there to comfort him. God is in the comforting, in the breaking. He's there with you. He's with Israel in the midst of this very horrific time when they are lost. They're used to going to the temple. They're used to worshiping Yahweh. They have a complex sacrificial system in order to be made right with God. And now long that's broken and gone away. And now these people are mocking them. Mocking them but here's the thing that you and I need to learn in the midst of our own personal exile in the exile that we are currently living in, cultural exile, is we need to unlearn in order to learn again. There's this awesome quote. I love this quote. It's Oswald Chambers, and he says this. It's not true to say that God wants to teach us something in our trials. It's not true. Through every cloud he brings our way, he wants us to unlearn something. When you're in exile, this is an awesome opportunity to learn. When things don't make sense, when you feel come up against, is an awesome opportunity to learn once again, to lean back into the Lord, to unlearn these horrible behaviors that we've developed because he's jealous for you. He's jealous for your worship. He's jealous for your adoration, your commitment to him. Well, some of you made a commitment to follow Jesus, and you're not living like it. And he loves you enough, he won't let you get away with it. How loving and kind is he? How merciful to not just release you, but to bring you near, which at times feels hurt and painful, so that you can unlearn all these bad behaviors that you developed. Oh, You thought that posting on Instagram or TikTok would make you feel more accepted and loved. Like you belong in this world and you're unlearning that. Some of you are unlearning the fact that that will never fill you up. It's only robbing you. Your culture has convinced you that if you don't have it, you don't exist. You need to unlearn that. Some of you have decided to put your sexual identity as the number one thing, as if it is the thing that defines you, that's crushing so many people, hurting them instead of living into the design that God graciously blessed you with. Oh, he's so good, but we got to unlearn some things in exile in order to learn, once again, that he's good, that he loves us, that he sees us, And he knows us. And I want you to know, I've had to unlearn a lot. I've been a Christian my whole life. Do you know this? I won best Christian in the school. I went to Christian school. I won best, like that's an award that I won. Do you know what that does to a junior in high school? Oh, what's up? How you like these chops, right? Like I have a plaque. I literally have a plaque that says best Christian in the school. I'm not even joking. It's the craziest thing. Who would hand that out? My son's been diagnosed with cancer. My wife's been diagnosed with cancer. I have been diagnosed with cancer. I've been hurt by my mom and my dad. My mom left when I was 12. My dad and I haven't had a great relationship in 25 years. I've been a pastor for 25 years, and it's been painful. So I know. I know what it is to put all my hope and my dreams in something and get disappointed. But what it's done is it's brought me back to him, to his love. Come. Come. Let's return to the Lord. This is what he's trying to say to Israel in the midst of their exile. Returning to the Lord. He's the one that's breaking them in exile. But he's also the one that wants to provide to them the healing. Everything's been taken away from them. They're completely lost. What are we going to do? I spent a lot of time in India. India is like a second home for me. I don't know if you read the news much. Or watch what's going on. But Modi showed up here in the United States. And I'm like, oh, what a good thing. India, right now, Christians are under so much persecution. It'll blow your mind. Every week I get updates of Christians being murdered. Of churches being burnt to the ground. Because he's, ra- he's a radical Hindu who wants to make a pure India, just like Hitler did. And he's crushing Christians right now. Not just Christians, but also Muslims. So I call and I'm going, hey, tell me about what's going on. Like, what's the heart? What's the condition around the Christians? Like, are they running away? He said, it's never been better. It's never been better. We are emboldened in our faith. We had to unlearn the dependence on all these other things when everything was going great to learn once again that we need the Lord That we need his help. Our faith is emboldened by what's going on. That's the beauty of what can happen in exile. That's, That's the beauty of what can happen in difficult situations in your life that want to blind you. Like God doesn't care when in reality it's the very thing that's drawing him in. It's drawing you in to go, trust me, I am near to you. We have forgotten as Christians that weakness is a weapon. We think it's about strength. We think it's about power. We think it's about knowing everything, about happy, consumeristic, western dreams. And we have been sorely disappointed. We know it's not true. You know it's not true. What we have forgotten is that when we're at our best, we're weak. Jesus died on the cross. Died so that we could live again. This is is Paul just kind of going like, take this away from me. Take this pain away from me. Make it better. Israel's like, bring us back to Jerusalem. Get us out of here. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. Many of you know this passage, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. God is speaking this to you right now in the middle of your own pain and your own concern and your own chaos His grace is sufficient. It's enough. It's more than enough for you. My power, God's power, is made perfect in your weakness. Perfection in your weakness. Weakness is a weapon for Christians. Weakness is a weapon in exile because it's not about us. It's about him. We need him. Israel has to learn this. Daniel is learning this all throughout his captivity. I can't do this alone. I can't do this in my own power, which means this. You can't kick your own addiction on your own. But it is a weakness, and it's okay to be weak. He doesn't tell you to not be weak. He doesn't say, suck it up, buttercup. (laughs) Get over it. No, he says, it's okay to be weak because that's when you can experience the full weight, the full power of what I have for you. Paul then goes, well, if that's the case, therefore I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ will rest upon me for the sake of Christ then. I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity for when I am weak, I'm strong. Some of you are resisting that weakness, pretending like you're strong, and I want you to know what's crushing you. You can't get through your stuff on your own. You can't fix your addictions on your own. You can't solve your identity issues on your own. It's a weakness. Israel cannot get themselves out of exile. They need Yahweh. They need God. They need to submit to him. We need to learn to thrive in the places that God's given to us. Do you know that you can thrive in difficult situations? You can thrive in these exiles. Jeremiah says something radical. Remember, Jeremiah is the one going, "Hey, this is all going to go down. This is Israel is going to. You're going to be." captured by Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be in exile, and I'm the one that's doing it. And Jeremiah says this to the people, thus says the Lord of hosts, the same Lord of hosts that has put them in this situation because of their rebellion against him. He says this, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to all the exiles of whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat and produce, take wives and sons and daughters, take, take, uh, uh, to, uh, and give your daughters into marriage that they may bear sons and, and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf it's welfare you will find your welfare here's what he says it's so important as Christians we're called to thrive wherever we go because I want you to know when we thrive it is a gospel presentation to the world and he's saying you know what I find so many and I'm going to stand here on a soapbox just for a second I hear so many Christians talking about getting out of here I can't wait for the Lord to return and get us out of here and we, we have forgotten that he's here that you're here that you matter right now here Just like he put Israel there, he has put you here for a purpose. Which means this, you all matter a whole bunch. You all have intrinsic purpose from the king of kings and the lord of lords to live and thrive in this exile. You are called to thrive here. You are called to be a light unto the nation for the world to see Whether it is good or bad, it doesn't matter because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords lives in every circumstance we find ourselves in. He's going to thrive there. They'll be so confused by that. They won't know what to do with a a bunch of Christians who are like, it's okay. When I'm weak, I'm strong. I'm going to build houses. I'm going to bless you. I'm not going to give in to you or conform to you, but I'll bless you. I'm going to be a good neighbor. I'm going to be a good friend. What About you, are you ready to thrive in exile? Or are we just going to walk around like a, mo- a bunch of mopey Christians, just going, well, I don't know why he's having me do this. It's so stupid, you know. All my friends and everybody have money, you know. You don't, you don't understand. You don't understand. No, I do. I, I, I do. The whole Bible's talking about it, and I knew. I knew because I failed so miserably at it. But in this season of my life, I just feel excited. I just feel so welcomed into this chaos because i want to stand out i don't know about you i want to stand out i want to be mopey i want to do something you want to do something you want to make a change instead of just moping around and complaining that stuff isn't the way you want it i get it it's hard some of you are going through incredibly hard situations i can't even begin to comprehend it breaks my heart i know some of you are really struggling So I don't want to make it sound like just take this happy pill and everything goes away. It's not the case. But where's your trust? Where's your hope found in the midst of pain and hurt? Is it in the circumstance or the Savior? He's with you in this. He's not far away. And he's called you to thrive. What we do in exile matters for all of eternity. It matters what you do, how you live, the decisions you make matter. And I believe Christians need to stop playing games because we've been called out, haven't we? They've been like, I think you guys might be fake. You guys talk like this, like loving your neighbor, until your neighbor doesn't do what you want them to do And then you blow them up all over social media? You storm capital buildings in the name of Jesus when you should, should be breaking your heart? And I'm not going right or left. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we have lost our perspective on who's in control. And that we can make a difference in this world. In this exile for the glory of God. And what you want, I want you to walk away is you matter. He puts you in this period of church history right now because he wants you. You matter. You belong here. Live in to what he's called you to do and called you to be in the midst of this very interesting time in church history. Side note. There are a bunch of you in here that don't know Jesus. Jesus. And I want to say this. I don't think we've done a real good job of displaying our Savior to you. Gandhi said this I like your Jesus. I don't like his followers. His followers don't look like they're Jesus. I feel that. And I want you to know on, behalf, on my behalf, I'm sorry. But I'm taking a stand like Joshua's taking a stand. And I think there's going to be a bunch of people this week. And Daniel made this stand. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will display who we are and whose we are. So that we won't be a mockery in the culture. We will be a light like a city on a hill for the world to see. And I want you to hear. I want you to know what we're for. Not what we're against. I want you to know we're going to thrive in Babylon. We're going to thrive in exile. And we're going to bless the nations as we do it. And that's why you matter here. Those of you who are Christians, this is our time to shine. This is your time. He's given you this life right now. All of you woke up with intrinsic value because you sucked breath in your lungs and a heart that beats. And it beats to the rhythm of his purpose in your life. Are you rebelling against it? Or are you living and flourishing in the exile that he has invited you into and actually caused you to be into. I told you about my son. When he was first diagnosed, I I was angry. You ever been angry at God? It's okay. We can say it now, right? Anybody ever been angry at God? You don't even need to raise your hand. Just give me a little nod, right? You ever been, you ever questioned God? Like, how could this happen? Where are you? By the way, if you read the Psalms, you're going to see that a whole bunch, Where are you? What's happening? Been a pastor my whole life, been a Christian my whole life. Served you faithfully, I believe I have. I've been obedient, I read the word of God. Went to Bible college. I won the best Christian in the school award, right? Like. And my son gets cancer. Nine months after I start this amazing thing to help reach millennials and re-engage them back in the local church. Left my church to go launch this faith-filled expedition. And you—will my son gets sick. He's going to be tortured for three years of his life. And then we got to live in anxious anticipation that something bad will happen for the vast majority of his life because of what's been done to him. How could you? Right? So that's the space I'm in. I don't know if you've ever been in that space. But I was in that space and not happy about it. My personal exile. So sit next to my son on the bed. And I'm hot. Not happy. And he's got his, all this poison hooked up to him. Head is bald. Face is swollen from the steroids. And he looked at me He said, Dad? I said, yeah, buddy. And he said, God and I are going to beat this. Four years old. And I I literally went, I think my son's a prophet, (laughs) right? (laughs) It just humbled me to my core, that innocence. Because here's the thing. In his weakness, he found the Lord. In his despair, he pointed me back to Jesus. It was his faith. To help carry me, remind me that he has not left us, he has not abandoned us, he is with us, sovereignly with us. I want you to know this, he is sovereignly with you, right now. And whatever you're going through, he sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he has called you to thrive. Thrive, and the life of Daniel is the life that we've been called. The life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the life that we've been invited into. That we're not survivors, we're thrivers. And it's only because of him. It's only because of what he's doing. And he's invited you in. But like Hosea, I would encourage you all this week, take that passage, 6-1. Return to the Lord. Come, let's return to the Lord. Let's return to the Lord. Because he... We are here in this circumstance as a result of our rebellion against his perfect will. But he has not left us. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Are you guys tracking with me? I know I'm being straight up. Are you okay with straight up? I'm going to talk to you like straight up because I feel like I'll repent right now and say this. I was a youth pastor for 12 years. And I filled my kids' ears with cotton candy to get them to show up to church. I threw thousands, tens of thousands of dollars worth of youth events, massive events. Kids would show up. Candy, candy canes, snow cones, you know what I mean, whatever. Anyway, anything, so much pizza, it make your, anyway. Like I, a seal, still have like, yeah. So, and to be honest, I wanted their butts in those seats. At times. More than that, I wanted them to hear truth. I was afraid if I spoke too much truth, they would run away. And I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I won't do that to you this week. I'm going to give you the truth, not because I'm some old mean guy, but because I love. And I desperately want you to hear the word of God. And I want you to desperately know how much he loves you. But I desperately want you to know how sinful we are. And how we have run away from the Lord and his plan and his desire. And that is not good news. And he's going to bring good news all throughout this week as we turn our hearts and our lives to him. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, I had a hard day today. You know I did. Sad about some things that are going on and just felt weak I got to get up in front of a bunch of students and proclaim your good news and I'm so grateful for your grace and your mercy that cover my failures so grateful that you use me in spite of myself thank you that your word was proclaimed tonight and will continue to be proclaimed tomorrow morning tomorrow night and the rest of this week I pray for over each and every single one of these students who's in the midst of their own exile, asking, where are you? Would you reveal yourself to them so strong this week? Would they see you so clearly? Lord, we've been blind, inebriated by the lies that our culture all around us has been telling, And we believed it. And we bought into it. Turn our hearts back to you. Thank you that you do not enable us. Thank you that your judgment is perfect and so is your love and we've received them both. We hope to be a light into the nations. We hope that our faithfulness and obedience to you will be a declaration to the world that you are the true king, that you are seated on the throne, that you are not shaken, that you love us so much. I pray that you would be honored and glorified this week as we turn our hearts to you and listen and learn and lean in to what you're trying to to teach us. We love you. We thank you. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. amen.